analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. It's a beautiful blue sky day here in Kamloops. Boy, did that temperature change. Uh, full spring into uh, full ahead into spring. Uh, warm temperatures, lovely to see. we got a packed show for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you'll be with us all hour. We'll talk about uh, tourism in the Kamloops region with the summer season looming ahead with Tourism Kamloops. We'll have the new managing director of the Kamloops Airport in at the bottom of the hour to talk about what's next over at YKA. And at the end of the show, we'll talk to Kamloops North MLA, Peter Millibar, about pipeline and Pipeline Corp. But first off the top, real pleasure to be joined by this province's Attorney General, David Eby. Good morning, David. Good morning, Shane. How are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. Hey, man, always lots to talk about, and I know you're a busy guy, so I always appreciate the time to chat. But uh, why don't we start off with last week's meeting. Uh, you met with a group of Kamloops business people, some in person down in Vancouver, others uh, joining by teleconference from here in Kamloops. Uh, ostensibly, the meeting centering around uh, the scrapping of the downtown Kamloops BCLC replacement headquarters project. Uh, they wanted some assurances as, or as far as leakage away to the coast, stuff like that. The sense from the Kamloops business people that I talked to was good meeting, uh, had some assurances. There's going to be some consultations uh, between BCLC and the community on its direction. Uh, there was some question marks about uh, the state of the headquarters replacement project as far as, yes, the door is closed now, but for how long will it be? So why don't we start there? Uh, you have decided to punt this project. Is this door firmly closed? That is it. Or is there a chance of revisiting in the years ahead? And if so, how many years do you think? Yeah, the, the BC Lottery Corporation did a, an assessment of the building and they uh, looked at, they had experts come in and do it with the costing on uh, doing necessary uh, repairs, and renovations and expansion uh, versus building new from scratch and the costs weren't even close. Um, and so they made the decision with scarce taxpayer dollars to uh, keep the building, do the renovations and expansion as needed uh, for the short term. And so in the longer term, in the medium term, uh, who knows where we're going to go. I know that there have been lots of discussions about uh, where is City Hall going to end up with the future of City Hall? Uh, BCLC has assembled uh, quite a number of properties. And so what I said to the folks that came to that meeting, and I agree, I thought it was a very good meeting, um, was uh, please work with BC Lottery Corporation, have those conversations about how BCLC can continue to support Kamloops. Uh, our government is firmly in support of BCLC being a part of Kamloops uh, for the future. And, uh, and we want to have those conversations about actually deepening the relationship between Kamloops and BC Lottery Corporation. Now, there are some concerns expressed by our area MLAs here, Peter Millibar and Todd Stone, uh, and some others in the community about the possibility for having this old building stick around for a while. There are some spacing issues. Uh, there were some jobs linked to the expansion, and there's some fears that some of those jobs could migrate now down to the coast. Uh, both Millibar and Stone, as you know, are going to tour both of those facilities to try and figure out what's going on. From your perspective, is there a commitment from your government to keep all new jobs within the Kamloops area of BCLC headquarters or no? Sure. Well, I, you know, I think it's critically important that the local MLAs get access to BCLC, and I've arranged that tour for them. But I think um, it's a bit much to hear from uh, Mr. Stone and Mr. Millibar, especially Mr. Stone, who was in government 2013, from 2013 to 2017, when net 34 jobs were lost from BCLC headquarters. By the way, all of those jobs were put back in the first year of our government, plus two additional jobs. So if he was concerned about losing jobs, maybe the time was when he was in cabinet. But in any event, it's not because I went and said issued some kind of direction to BC Lottery Corporation, look, at those jobs back. It's because we've told BCLC, and we've been really clear, that we are supportive of jobs being in Kamloops. And in fact, for most people applying to BC Lottery Corporation, Kamloops is more attractive uh, than the coast. It's uh, lower cost of living. Their dollar goes further. It's a great place to live. 
So they're getting requests from Vancouver, staff in Vancouver, to move to Kamloops. And that's why we're looking at adding that space into the office and making sure that there's space for people. So it's a really unusual argument to hear when it's so contrary to the reality on the ground in terms of the movement of full-time employees between the coast and, and Kamloops. The net migration effect is from Vancouver to Kamloops, not the other way around. And our government has actually added 36 more jobs, uh, two more jobs net uh, than the uh, previous government did. Uh, so it's really strange. They didn't add any jobs. They took away 34. I don't get it, uh, but that's politics. <laughs> uh, on the consultation side, interesting idea proposed in that meeting last week about uh, working with the community, sort of, I guess, improving the flow of communication. Uh, at this point, any idea what sort of that consultation between BC, LC, and the community would look like on the ground or no? Yeah, I mean, here's here's the really neat part that comes out of uh, that politics playing, essentially, that's going on, is that uh, we had this meeting. We had the chance to sit around the table, and there were some really important people around the table, including Thompson Rivers University, uh, especially their tech side, and having a conversation about how BCLC can support that, how BCLC can better uh, integrate with the local uh, Kamloops community and local businesses. So uh, we made it really clear in the meeting, and uh, and we've got uh, great partners in, uh, in our CEO there at uh, BC Lottery Corporation and the board. Uh, everybody focused on doing that and deepening those connections. And I said... Um, work with BCLC, uh, you know, work with Jim Lightbody, uh, work on programs that integrate BCLC better into Kamloops, and, and when you need me, bring me in for the political support uh, for those programs to go forward. Uh, and, uh, and I have made a commitment to those uh, business folks who came up from Kamloops to be available to them uh, to deepen those conversations and make sure BCLC not only continues to contribute in a way that it has in the past, but that that uh, contribution actually increases and, and deepens going forward. Uh, some other topics. Uh, legal aid has been a fight that uh, has been going on for a long time now, uh, ostensibly over funding, but they also want a more robust approach to legal aid overall. Lawyers there, 97% in favor of job action uh, with the deadline of April 1st approaching. I know talks, uh, or at least they were last week, still going on to find a deal. Uh, any sense, Dave, from your perspective, whether we're going to hit this April 1st deadline hard or whether there's a chance of uh, rescuing something out of this? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bit difficult. So obviously legal aid has been dramatically underfunded for the last 16 years. Our government putting an extra $30 million uh, into legal aid uh, last year, this year, and uh, next year, uh, which is the biggest increase in legal aid funding in 16 years. But as I say, that is, uh, that is uh, not saying as much as we would hope it would because there were no increases for 16 years. So I understand why the lawyers are frustrated uh, we've had the report for um, a few weeks now, and we're sitting down with the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers. Uh, the people who get hurt in a service withdrawal are the most vulnerable, people whose kids have been taken away by the state or people who are facing criminal charges, people uh, who are refugees. And so what we're trying to do is, is find a way to buy some time so that we can have a conversation and negotiate a deal together. So that's where we're at right now. I'm trying to, uh, to not negotiate uh, through the media and just have those conversations directly with the lawyers about what we need to do uh, to address this issue. And, and when we're doing it, an opportunity for everybody to think about the future of legal aid in the province, what it looks like, the government in the throne speech uh, announcing that we're going to be opening legal aid to clinics across the province. Uh, before any of this happens. So what do those clinics look like? How can legal aid lawyers play a role in that as well? Um, so there's lots going on, and uh, my hope is that we can really avoid a service withdrawal because of the impact that's going to have on people in the province. Yeah, uh, your your former colleague, now Mayor of Nanaimo, Leonard Crow, came out and blasted you guys for not doing enough on legal aid. Uh, your response to that, and, and, and do you agree with him or no? 
Yeah, you know what? Leonard's a very passionate uh, advocate for legal aid. He always has been. Uh, it's not a surprise uh, for me to hear from him about legal aid, uh, our challenge. And, and Leonard knows this well in Nanaimo. I know Kamloops and other communities know this too, is we've got a lot of priorities out there. One of them is uh, how people end up in the court system in the first place. Mental health, homelessness, poverty and addiction have been big priorities for this government to get people out of the court system, out of uh, uh, the jail system and into treatments and into supports like housing. So uh, there has been a priority. Uh, we make no apologies for that. The priority has been housing, mental health and addiction. Uh, and uh, we are moving on legal aid, so we're getting there. Uh, and I, I take his comments seriously. He's a thoughtful advocate for legal aid. How concerned are you on the legal aid front and, and sort of in a court process as a whole um, that things are getting so prohibitive uh, and I'm hearing that in family law cases alone, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of people going into a family law case are now choosing to represent themselves. You know what that means. They're unfamiliar with the system. We're already dealing with clogged courts on a number of fronts and the whole system kind of backstops behind them as they flounder around. How do you deal with that? Well, that's a, it's a huge issue. Family law is, I would say, the worst of uh, a growing situation in the court system where people are representing themselves because they can't afford lawyers. Uh, and that's why we have put resources into, significant resources into, uh, Family Court Rules uh, Reform Project and a pilot program that's rolling out uh, this year that will have people sitting down with uh, family court uh, specialists. They're not judges, they're not lawyers. They're going to help them get their paperwork together before they appear in front of the judge instead of showing up in court on the first day with none of their paperwork, totally confused about what's happening, not knowing what's happening. So we have these family justice counselors that are going to be sitting down with them. And one of the things that will be on the checklist will also be mediation. Our hope is that where it's appropriate, people can work things out before they get embroiled in multi-year court battles. Um, So we're trying to divert people sooner and, and deal with the paperwork and the processing before they show up in front of the judge. So when they finally show up in front of the judge, they have everything ready to go. Um, we're going to watch and see how that works. Uh, we may need more fundamental reforms. We also put in a provision uh, in the Law Societies Act that gives them the ability to have uh, licensed paralegals to support people. These would be more affordable people assisting people, more affordable advocates assisting people with routine applications. Now, the Law Society had a vote recently that uh, suddenly now they don't want to do, the members don't want to do uh, these licensed uh, paralegals the way that they wanted to when they originally asked us to put that in. So hopefully they sort that out and we can have some of these licensed paralegals doing the work that lawyers uh, don't want to do and people can't afford to pay lawyers to do anyway. Uh, why don't we finish up on the money laundering front? Uh, I don't know how in the loop you may or may not be, but there is word out uh, about the federal liberal government unveiling in the budget tomorrow a new task force meant to improve money laundering investigations and increase the likelihood of prosecutions. Uh, for the rest of us, we have to see what that looks like tomorrow. I don't know if you have an advanced heads up on what that might be, but uh, your response to what we know so far? Yeah, no, uh, uh, same boat as, uh, as the, the general public in terms of uh, waiting to see what this actually means on the ground. Uh, it's a pretty low bar, I'd have to say, uh, compared to where we are right now with major prosecutions failing, uh, with uh, British Columbia recognized as uh, home to a unique model of money laundering called the Vancouver model and the federal government telling international watchdogs that a billion dollars in one instance was laundered through Vancouver's economy. Uh, so, I mean, we, 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 we can do better. We have to do better. I hope that this is going to be significant, and we'll see. All right. And the last question to you. I know this is, I believe, uh, Mr. German's going to come back to you this month, but uh, as sort of an update on, on phase two as we know it today. Well, we have, uh, your uh, listeners will remember, we asked Peter German, former RCMP officer, to go out and look at money laundering in relation to casinos, uh, people bringing in bulk cash to casinos, 
when he did that, he identified that real estate and luxury cars might also be an issue, as well as horse racing. So he's been looking at those three issues. Those reports are due to me at the end of this month. Uh, we'll hopefully have them released to the public as soon as possible. I know that he has found some concerning information already, and government is already working based on some of the reports, earlier reports he's provided us, and we'll be providing that to the public as soon as possible. Dave, always a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for the time, and congratulations on your uh, second arrival. Hey, thanks, Shane. That is uh, really the big news at our house. So. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet it is. Uh, Dave, uh, thanks again. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, that's this province's Attorney General, Dave Eby. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll chat to Kamloops Tourism with Beverly DeSantis. News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Again, beautiful day here in Kamloops. How that weather changed and immediately when the sunshine comes out, you start thinking about tourism and things to do outside. Uh, real pleasure to be joined by Tourism Kamloops CEO Beverly DeSantis in studio. Beverly, how are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, fresh back from, from Germany. You did a little yeah. uh, tourism conference out there. Anything you're dragging back to help out on the home front or no? Yeah, so Berlin is actually the largest travel trade show in the world. Wow. And so what we do there is we meet with... Uh, German-speaking, those countries, travel trade tour operators, and encourage them to come through Kamloops and spend, you know, a night or two. So what we're finding, what's really exciting for us, is that there's such compression in Vancouver markets, and we're bookended by Vancouver and the Banff Lake Louise area, and those two areas are very compressed during the high seasons. So telling the Kamloops story and being there in front of them and asking them to maybe shift another one of those nights so that they can spend two or three nights in the Kamloops area mm. has been quite successful. So we do the same thing in uh, the UK for the UK market, Germany and China and Australia, actually. So, Do you find differences in what those markets are interested in? Because I'm fascinated always by, you know, Wells Gray is huge for German tourism for some reason. Uh, and I don't know if other countries kind of navigate towards certain other sectors or, or parts of the country or not but yeah so there's different and uh, different market sectors that we go after but we definitely go after the german market because they like our wide open spaces mm. and the being in the outdoors and hiking and lakes and those sorts of things I, when you travel in the european countries they're so um densely populated yeah. that for these guys to get out and just enjoy the clean beautiful air and everything our lakes that we have to offer here they just love hanging out here and we love hanging we love that they love hanging out here <laughs> yeah yeah and the same with the UK and Australia is definitely more of a winter product they love sun yeah. peaks and but yeah. Yeah, uh, I have a travel rule. If I'm if I'm somewhere traveling and I don't hear an Australian voice, oh. then I immediately go to the news to find out what's going on. Oh. <laughs> it's my sign of stability. If there's an Australian nearby, all is well. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, brought you in because I wanted to also talk to you about this labor market study done by Go to HR, where they're talking about specific to our region, Thompson, Okanagan, uh, twelve thousand two hundred tourism-related job openings forecast by 2028. You've got the province-wide numbers; they're even more staggering. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. My Understanding is, at least in our region, the bulk of that may be retirements, or and then the others is obviously job growth. But what's going on out there? Well, it's it's such a competitive industry, yeah. and so I do believe there are retirements. Um, but also people are seeing that this really is being the largest industry globally. Uh, tourism, there's great opportunity. So 
whether you're a marketer or you're a chef or frontline um, management, um, you know, there's jobs in, in tourism. And um, with the competitive markets that are happening, more and more people are looking for more and more good people. So as you mentioned, I, you know, by 2028, they're projecting an additional 106,000 jobs, an additional oh. 106,000. Wow, that's so huge So I don't know if that is contributing to those that are retiring or on top of that. But yeah. You know, it is growing. And do we know we talked about Berlin and we, you know, we talked about the UK, these travel markets, the competition is fierce. You know, there's there's countries advertising for tourism dollars that I don't even know their names. And I've been in this industry for for years, years. And I'm going, where is this place? But yeah, so, you know, finding good people and retaining those people and trying to lift that um, that that pay scale so that people will stay in this business right. is a, is another factor. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, obviously, nice looking weather out. We've suddenly gone from cold winter to like holy smokes, it's verging on summer temperatures already out yeah. there. Um, with another sort of spring summer season looming, anything new on the outlook as far as that particular time and tourism and etc. Yeah. So we're we're really pleased to be welcoming back the FireFit folks. Okay. The regional championships are coming here uh, in May. Um, I know downtown and the North Shore have got some stuff brewing, uh, literally, uh, for some from uh, some outdoor parties. I know your husband's got his finger on that pulse. So. He is, and he told me to make sure to mention downtown, or else you know he won't make dinner tonight. So that's, that's definitely what I had to do there. Um, but there's lots of exciting things going on uh, for sure. We um, second annual Buskers Festival. Yes. Um, Very hot. successful, by the way. I enjoyed it's, the last yeah, one. Yeah. Very good. Really good, and you know it's it comes down to our amazing group. Of volunteers that really help to put on put on these events and then hot night in the city those guys are celebrating i think it's 40 years or um, which is incredible what a you know these guys are such passionate car lovers and they really bring that added um um benefit to to rib fest which again yeah. is another amazing event i mean it's just non-going and the fact that we've got you know music in the park every night and Rocky's going to start coming in here in April again yeah. for another season. And um, things are just really buzzing here. Like I said, it's, you know, Kamloops, because of the um, density that's happening in, in some of the other areas, really is boding well for us. So uh, We're running out of time, unfortunately. But I do want to ask you, uh, because the last couple of seasons, tourist seasons in the summer, have been marred by wildfires. 2017 was a particularly bad year. And then last year, we had that smoke just sitting here for what seemed like about a month or so. Sure. Uh, and that kind of threw a monkey wrench in some operations uh, every year we don't can't really forecast what may or may not happen but um, is that factoring into thinking planning timing as far as tourism stuff out there or no well it's always the back of your mind and yeah. we, you know we these were a lot, many of them were human started fires so we're really hoping that people will just be a lot more careful uh, right and and but yeah I mean you're Kamloops is not hit as hard as other areas because we don't have, for instance, Kelowna, they go and they stay for seven to ten nights. That's their vacation. So that region was decimated last year because people just canceled. But if you're coming for one or two nights, you're still going to come. And the international travelers, this is why we're focusing on international, they'll still come as well. But, um, you know, Kamloops, you see it today. It's a beautiful, sunny 
area, we love to push out our season into September and October. So we've really been focusing on our endless summer campaign. And we were up, by, you know, 18% last October. And wow. um, so it's, it's working. And so, you know, if we suffer a little bit in in august because of maybe some smoke or things happening uh we're pushing that that those tourism dollars into september october yeah. and even november was up almost 20 percent yeah as well. i remember being in revelstoke last year when the wildfire smoke was just that just a gray fog yeah. Yeah. and watch those poor people in the rocky mountaineer go through and i was thinking man you know what a beautiful area in the sunshine you know and then you just you're just kind of going through stephen king's the mist the entire time huh? exactly oh yeah yeah exactly well hopefully that won't happen this year people yeah. be careful out there yeah, no sure. kidding. Yeah. Uh, hey, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank Good to you. talk to you. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you and I will be touching base a lot over the summer. So. Absolutely. Anytime. There we go. That's uh, Tourism Kamloops CEO Beverly DeSantis. Quick break to the bottom of the hour. On the other side, we're going to touch base with Ed Ratuski, who's returning to Kamloops Airport. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Digging deeper into the day's top stories. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Well, welcome back to the Woodford Show. Real pleasure to be joined in studio this morning by the men, new managing director of Kamloops Airport, Ed Rutuski, who, of course, is a familiar name. Uh, Ed, you spent six years here, what, 20, uh, 2010 to 2016-ish, I believe? Yeah, it was, uh, I think we arrived in 2010 and then came into... Uh yeah, through 2016. Yeah. Well, hey, off the top, welcome back to town. Thanks so much for the invite back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you spent some time in the in-between time down in New York and LaGuardia. Uh, you've since returned. But tell me a little bit about your New York experience. That must have been something else to kind of go down into a city of that stature. And I know LaGuardia is an insanely busy airport. Uh, that must have been a really interesting experience. Yeah, it was. I uh, had an opportunity to work with... Uh, some a, a few aviation professionals from our from our vantage network and yeah. it was just an amazing opportunity to be invited to go down and work with that team for the transition of LaGuardia to a private operator that vantage does and uh, it was it was surprising the similarities between operating the airport here and the terminal there whether it's 15 million passengers or 300,000 passengers kind of our core uh, common denominators at, at the airport, safety, security, right. passenger experience. Was, it's pretty much the same. Same foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Were you there when the airport flooded, by the way, LaGuardia? No, I wasn't. That was the year <laughs> okay. before. It was right during our bid process right. when we were. So that was... we, we were part of the cleanup, though. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so uh, you're back, uh, and it looks like you brought some good weather with you. As far as Kamloops Airport goes, uh, now that you're getting back on the ground, immediate plans, uh, What do you? what's the sort of goal over the short and long term now that you're sitting in the big chair again yeah short term uh right now because we've hit uh some milestones in terms of 325 to 350,000 passengers a year uh, we're obligated under the regulatory environment to increase our uh emergency response coverage which mm -hmm. means new equipment new truck more firefighters on site we call them airport technicians they they're uh, kind of dual purposed uh, expansion to the the airport fire hall we call it the R facility but um, and that and just improving on some of the air, uh, passenger services in the terminal as well um, the other thing we're working on is uh, some development of the airport properties that uh, started a couple of years ago yeah. with their land use development plan but we really want to pursue some of those 
Uh, what are the highlights there? I read something about a possible hotel down that way or something. Yeah, that's that's one of our the highlights where we see there there's a demand for there. So we really want to dig into that and, and see what the potential is for that. Uh, service station is another kind of um, to, or one of the development potentials that we really want to pursue as well. Cool. Uh, let me see. Was it 11 percent increase in 2018 as far as passenger flow through Kamloops Airport? Uh, in your mind, where's the growth potential with Kamloops? Where do you take it? So that's one thing we're looking at right now, really closely with our route development folks in Vancouver, and then with Tourism Kamloops, uh, Tourism Sun Peaks, the Chamber, uh, the business community in in Kamloops, just to see where that potential drives us. And what I'd like to do is get the uh, all of those groups speaking collectively with the carriers. So um, probably in the short term is we're looking at some uh, the ski traffic supporting yeah. that from from Seattle and and uh, domestically. So I think those are the big ones right now. We do have uh, Rouge serving Toronto weekly this summer again, which is which, which is, is good great. for Kamloops. Yeah, and we just have to promote the, promote that service. Um, when you talk about increasing sort of uh, servicing the ski community and, and sort of from a flight perspective, is it sort of increasing the capacity between sort of a Calgary Vancouver major hub, or do you look at more sort of direct flights from Kamloops to wherever? Um, probably a bit of both. Okay. If if we could uh, secure a tr- um, enough traffic to support a longer haul into Kamloops, we definitely would do that. And that's one of the things we want to dig into with uh, uh, tourism, Sun Peaks, and, and that ski industry. How do you manage, because uh, Kamloops Airport to me is an interesting situation, probably the only airport that actually competes with the highway in the Coquihalla as people go down to your Abbotsfords, your YVRs. Uh, Cologne Airport's growing by leaps and bounds uh, out that way. That's a short drive. Um, and so there's probably some leeching away of people who would love to use Kamloops and end up doing one of those two things. How do you, how do you sort of even the playing field and, and start getting that traffic flow into our local airport? It's a lot of it is word of mouth and bringing the the guests into the city and then just working with the the local community and getting the word out there. We have to build the traffic base in order for the airlines to support it. Yeah, how do you go about doing that? Because I always I'm always struck by like the, you talked about the Camus Toronto flight, fantastic, but then you hear the mayor and everybody else saying, "I use that service. We need the pass." So how do you how do you marry those two things to say, okay, instead of having these constantly transitional experimental legs uh, that we hope will stay, to like, okay, we have a demand and now we are good. We're going to have this service on the ground for the foreseeable future. Well, that's where our route development folks with with Vantage they meet regularly with the carriers and keep. And they bring in those passenger numbers. They go by the metrics that where the strongest demands are. And then that's what I was saying. We wanted to marry those up with the the tourism Sun Peaks, tourism Kamloops, and the Chamber to to make sure we're getting the right message to the airlines to support that growth. One of the uh, new interesting things about Kamloops Airport in the last little while is the float plane dock. Do uh, so you see growth there as far as kind of hopping float planes around or no? Yeah, I just met with uh, the president of the BC Float Plane Association last week. He's a resident in, in Kamloops. Cool. And, uh, yeah, that's that's one initiative with, that was taken last year. And we're, we do have some more development going down there this summer in terms of safety enhancements. But uh, he, they're already uh, looking at bringing in, doing a fl- 
flying operation okay. this summer, a special event just to kind of support and get the word out that that new facility is ready for the pilots to fly into the community. Okay. Uh, is it as like a summer operational? I was out there with a walk with the family the other day and all the docks were pulled up, so I was sort of assuming it looks fairly seasonal to me. So It is. Yeah. It is. They, uh, I think it's probably right now we're, we're in there doing some additional work. The docks will go in and then through November it'll stay open. Uh, longer term, as far as any kind of airport expansion, be it runway work or anything else, uh, any idea yet sort of what a rough list in your head will be on that front? Or? There are some uh, initiatives we're going to pursue for development to the airport and more taxiway development. Yeah. Uh, just before I left, we did the, the full runway rehabilitation. So in that sense, there won't be that much development in in terms of expanding that part of the airport, but more to support the development of the airport from a from a lease perspective. Uh, have you actually been over to the airport yet? Or are you so freshly in the move that you're still huffing boxes out of the truck? Or no, no. St- <laughs> yeah, I, was, I get uh, the sense you've just sort of arrived. Yeah, so. I, I got into town a couple of weeks ago with we the transition with Heather. <laughs> And then it was, she's uh, joined our team in, back in Vancouver. And yeah. so last week was my first full week. Yeah, I'm there every day. <laughs> Perfect. What's it like being back? It's great. Yeah. It's, it's so nice to be back in the community. And, and like I was saying, that's the one thing where word of mouth, just working with uh, some of the folks in, in New York, and they didn't know where Kamloops was. Oh, really? Our yeah. team there. And, it's, and they're already coming out here. So that's how we get that word out. Perfect. Uh, Ed, uh, I look forward to what goes on at Camelot's Airport. Uh, I fly a fair bit with myself and my family, so I'd love to use that service a lot more if I could. Uh, and, of course, I'd love to see us be able to compete with, uh, you know, your Abbotsfords and Kelowna's and that stature one day. But, hey, welcome back. Really good to see you. I look forward to talking to you a lot in the future. Thanks so much. There we go. That's Ed Ratuski, who's stepping back in in uh, Kamloops Airport after a stint in New York. We'll take a quick break, and we'll finish up the show talking oil and pipelines and a lot more with Kamloops North MLA, Peter Millibar. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. The voice of your community. You're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Real pleasure to be joined in studio this morning by Camelot's North MLA, Peter Millibar. Pete, how are you? It's always good to be here. <laughs> I don't know if you were listening. Attorney General David Eby off the top talked to him about the BCLC meeting. I know you guys, uh, you and Todd, are going to do that tour, uh, both the headquarters here and the Vancouver offices. Uh, on the job front, he basically said you guys are playing politics here, and he doesn't quite understand it. Just off the top, your sort of response to that? Well, we're not playing politics. Uh, I think we have a long track record in the city of having having uh, to raise and, and have concerns around BCLC and, and what is actually happening in terms of uh, is it truly a head office or not yeah. in Kamloops. And that's been going on since almost the day it was built. Uh, let's make no mistake about it. It was a political decision to build it in Kamloops in the first place. And it's been uh, being chipped away at uh, off and on over that 30 plus years. And so uh, we're going to continue to do our job as local MLAs. If, if uh, Minister Eby wants to allay uh, local concerns and, and get back on uh, the 
the original tact and track that was supposed to be happening with that building and its replacement, we'd welcome that. But if he thinks we're just going to suddenly be quiet uh, on something that could bring an extra 250 jobs into our community, uh, he's got another thing coming. On the jobs front, he says, listen, uh, Kamloops is way more attractive than Metro Vancouver. Even existing employees, never mind new ones, all want to come here. Real estate, you know, data over the last couple of years would suggest that there is some surge in that direction on the affordability front. Does that allay concern of staff leakage in your mind or no? No, it doesn't. Um, and, and I've heard him say that those are, you know, falsehoods that uh, people, when they apply for postings that say Camels or Vancouver at the 11th hour, at the very end of an interview, get told, well, that's actually out of Vancouver. We'd prefer to have you work out of. Um, and essentially are told that's really where the job is po- uh, for. Um, and when you look at the job openings in that, uh, you know, there's not a move uh, to Camels en masse. Uh, it, is, it is heavily replacing Vancouver people in Vancouver, which is fine. I understand that but for the minister uh, to not understand why we would be saying if it's so attractive here why are you not uh, expanding uh, why are you not trying to move those jobs to Kamloops willfully and um, and none of that seems to be happening and so um, you know we're going to continue doing what we uh, feel is right uh, um, he said we were playing politics with it uh, when we first brought this up as a concern and two weeks later the whole project was cancelled so I would suggest um, perhaps uh, we you know we have good reason to be uh, very skeptical about uh, anything uh, Minister Eby says. His track record of successes um, is very small. When you look at uh, the files he's brought forward and tried working on in his two years now as Attorney General, uh, he's, he's hyper-politicized everything, but he hasn't really delivered a whole heck of a lot from the proportional representation uh, referendum to the promised building in, in Kamloops. So uh, uh, we'll continue to hold him to account. Uh, this morning, you're the environment critic of the BC Liberals. This morning, the BC government reference case is going before the courts. Ideally, what's at play is the province wants to know if it has jurisdiction over the flow of oil through pipelines. Uh, most people would say that is a federal jurisdiction, but we're going to decide one way or the other. Your take on this as it gets going in court, would you be surprised if they ruled at provincial jurisdiction or no? I, I would be surprised. I mean, here we have a provincial government that has admitted uh, several times that they have no jurisdiction over rail lines and and the volume of, of oil on rail lines, and we've seen that go up uh, two and a half times more over the last year and a half in terms of volume. We're now at uh, 350,000 barrels a month uh, as opposed to, what, 100,000 barrels a month, uh, previously 125,000 barrels a month. Um, and so that's increasing. It, it's starting to clog up uh, the rail system. Uh, Minister Sohi federally commissioned a report from the National Energy Board for a report that he released last week that shows that both pipeline and rail are at capacity now. It's going to start strangling our, our economy. And, and so while uh, the province is admitting all of this stuff around uh, rail lines, somehow, um, you know, a pipeline transporting the exact same product in a tube, uh, very similar to what a, a very long oil tanker uh, train looks like, uh, they suddenly think that they have uh, autonomy over that uh, form of transportation. It doesn't make any sense. It's a stall tactic. Um, it's uh, it's a way for the, the government to try to appease uh, uh, some of their supporters, I guess. And, and they were told very clear from the second that they took office that uh, they really don't have the ability um, uh, to use every tool in the toolbox uh, to stop the pipeline, yet we see the minister and the premier uh, continuing to do that. 
getting some issues around the pipeline in a sec, but uh, you referenced the National Energy Board report, and I'll quote it here. Any notable increase in pipeline or rail capacity would need to come from new major infrastructure projects as current pipeline capacity is fully utilized and rail infrastructure is operating at or near capacity. Matter of fact, uh, pipeline capacity in the last quarter of 2018, according to the NEB, was 98%. So for max out of capacity, in your mind, what's the concern here? Well, the concern is you'll see either uh, a major investment uh, happening in, in rail, uh, which isn't a bad thing in terms of other commodities having access to market as well. Um, however, um, if it's strictly for oil, again, uh, it's a little hard to ship two by fours and grains through a pipeline. It's not uh, for bitumen and, and oil products. And so um, I think common sense would say uh, we have one way to free up space uh, instantly on rail lines to allow all those other commodities to make it to market. We are seeing uh, pressure on the rail lines to try to service those other customers. Uh, and that's with oil only account for about six to seven percent of the overall rail volume um, so if there's even more pressure put on uh, to, to get you know up to ten percent of the volume what does that do for for access for for lumber shippers for for grain for cars for you name the commodity that uh, we all see coming through on our trains every day uh, it makes it that much harder let alone you are still running the same product uh, through those river corridors uh, that people uh, you know profess to want to protect uh, where a pipeline is is a much safer way to transport that same product why the attention on pipelines as opposed to rail? And I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent in some of the issues. I think we have the export, then we should use it to our advantage. So I'm sort of mildly pro-pipeline in that perspective. But uh, the argument always centers around the pipeline. And yet, you're right, we do have this massive increase in oil by rail. I don't see anybody, environmental groups or otherwise, who are picketing rail yards or screaming and yelling about that. Why is there such a disparity in the argument pipelines versus rail? I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, the, the reality is, uh, due to our constraints with capacity right now, and that's what this report last week uh, also spells out, we are selling oil at, at a discount uh, to get it into a U.S. market instead of into a world market. It's, it's very clear that that's happening. Uh, that impacts our, our overall economy. That impacts our ability for the federal and provincial governments to be able to provide the, the hospitals and the schools and, and all the types of infrastructure that we want as a, as a country to, to flourish and to thrive. And, um, you know, at a time where we have a, an NDP government led by John Horgan that's spending money like uh, no tomorrow come and, uh, and no real way to pay for it at this point other than tax, 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 um, they don't want to see, uh, you know, a project go through that would actually help uh, pay for a lot of those same projects. And so, uh, you know, that's where I think there's a real disconnect here. And, and unfortunately, it, it's gotten to the point where the no side's never going to change their mind. I don't think the yes side's ever going to change their mind. Yeah. Uh, that soft middle area, they seem to be more and more coalescing around uh, let's get this pipeline built as more and more people understand uh, um, you know, the ramifications and what it's doing to our, our local economies and what it's doing to our national economy. How, and this is the, this is the million dollar question, I don't know if any, anybody can really provide an answer, but in my mind, how do you get a system in place to have a pipeline project run the gamut of regulation and approvals, and then it's over. 
we decide yes, we decide no, and everybody moves on. Because, I mean, Trans Mountain, this argument is just never-ending. I talked to Ian Anderson last week. He says he still expects a bevy of court challenges. How do we get people to a point where we can have a program that works that everyone's bought into, and at the end we go, okay, we won, some of us lost, but at the end of the day we're, we're going to move on with our lives? Because that's not our current reality. No, and I think that's why you see the worry around uh, both this project and, and even uh, the LNG project up north, um, you know, both permitted, both approved, and then continue to face hurdles and, and question marks. And that that does carry over to other projects and other uh, industry in terms of attracting uh, capital to our country. Uh, and there will be a slowdown and a lag uh, with that type of investment. People with those types of capital dollars will simply go to another jurisdiction and ride it out and wait and see what happens. And in the meantime, we'll see our economy slowly start to uh, slow down and unfortunately uh, a drag a bit. And that's, that's the real concern here is the net effect that this is having uh, on all these types of projects uh, moving forward. And and uh, I don't know that we'll ever get to that place where there's always going to be, uh, you know, some sort of unanimous, okay, let's get on with the project. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Could you imagine in this day and age suggesting that you were going to build a transportation network that goes coast to coast and is going to run next to a whole lot of streams and rivers and, and lakes, but mm -hmm. you're going to need to do a lot of blasting and, and you're going to carve through mountains and you're going to then at the end of it, carry a whole whack of assorted uh, hazardous goods that people may or may not even know are on that. Um, it would never happen today, yeah. which means we would never have a rail line built. And so here we are uh, arguing about pipelines versus a rail line uh, that I think it's safe to say those same corridors would never get developed with a rail line in this current environment. And that is a, a scary proposition, let alone trying to punch in a new highway road uh, anywhere um, in this country. I don't think that would even happen. So we have transportation corridors. We need to maximize them. Uh, in this case, we have a pipeline corridor that can handle the, the twinning. Uh, we should be maximizing the capacity of that corridor, just like we try to maximize our highway routes and we try to maximize our rail routes. Peter, uh, we're out of time. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Good to see you. Okay, thank you. That's Kamloops North MLA, Peter Millibar. And that's it for today's edition of the Woodford Show. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL, same time tomorrow. 1400 Clearwater, 107.1 Chuswap from CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM, local news now.